Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutters, our broisto. And this morning, we're pleased to be joined by two good friends to discuss Catholic medical ethics, Father Bob Penhollerick and Dr. Ashley Fernandez. Happy Leap Day, Amanda. Happy Leap Day. You're the third person to tell me that. Yes. I have a question <laughs> later after prayer, huh? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for another day. We thank you how you're meeting us in each and every place that, that we are. Help us to be attentive to your presence. Grant us the grace to grow in love and knowledge of you. Help us to offer our days to you, specifically when our days maybe start to get a little challenging. Or if there's anything that we're struggling with today, Lord, help us to just turn to you and trust in you. We also offer up all of our joys and thank you for them and thank you for your blessings. Lord, whoever we encounter today, may they see you, the joy of the Lord. Lord, we ask just for perseverance in our, our Lenten practices and as always, our Mother, Mother Mary's guidance as we offer these intentions to her for her intercession. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Question. Yes. Is Leap Day a celebration? It is here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, here I mean, in the are, cafe. Yeah, are, are, there, are there places where it is celebrated? I guess I just don't know. Only every four years. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with a guy who was born on Leap Day. Mm. Yeah. So it, it was always, he, he celebrated, Cam asked, uh, when on the other three, you know, years between Leap years, he celebrated on February 28th, his birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess at move it up a day rather than putting it off until March. Mm -hmm. So makes sense. Yeah. But you know, when he, when he went for his driver's license, you know, turned 16 and you know, that's, are you really? Yeah. It's like, well, you're only four, <laughs> you know, technically. So by the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Well, it's Thursday. So you know what that means, <gasps> but you're not playing. Well, Last night was Volleyball. Yeah, right. Last night was actually the tournament. So previous week was my last game. Mm -hmm. Last night was the tournament. So and you guys were invited to, to be in the tournament. <laughs> I mean, everyone gets invited to the okay. tournament. Okay. Participation <laughs> trophies. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. We didn't win, but we were very close. Okay. It went very well. I was happy for the opportunity to uh, actually just hang out with everyone afterwards and not continue on to several games. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, And we were told at the conferences from uh, some listeners that they enjoy hearing about your volleyball games. <gasps> oh, thanks. They're thanks for invested. rooting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Get diggy with it yeah. is the name of the team. So. It, you know, I started this as part of my uh, my year of I'm saying yes to things and putting myself out there. So I think it went well. Good. Yeah. When, when's the next season start? Um, I don't know. We'll have to figure that one out. 
There's no. Like, I'll keep you updated. Sp- no spring or summer <laughs> league. I, I mean, I was shocked actually. Is obviously it's an indoor league. Yes, but they also but it's have sand, outdoor. But it's sand volleyball. Correct. Indoors. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Who knew? I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so today's gospel is from Luke chapter sixteen, verses nineteen to thirty-one. Cam, Amanda, either of you like to read? I got it. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from you, who would pass from here to you, may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Did you know Lazarus means God is my help? Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, so, but what I'm thinking about this morning is more um, Abraham's story. Uh, boy, and, and how self-centeredness and the um just how material things and pleasures can completely blind us you know just that pursuit and that's um narcissism that can turn us completely away from those that that need help and very dramatically here too but i think in in my own life in our own lives just how that um again that self-centeredness um doesn't um we miss what's right in front of us i mean lazarus was at abraham's door and abraham completely ignored him the rich man not not i'm sorry yeah Yeah, i'm sorry i'm sorry the rich man yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A good thanks. Point. Cam. That's a yeah. good point. What's 
what are we focused on in our life? What is mm-hmm. important to us? And, and do we see those around us who are in need? Not only see them, but do we act upon it? Yeah. Cam? I think also the living lavishly that the, the rich man does. He's, you know, feasting all the time and things like that. And um, when I read the passage, sometimes I wonder, like, did he ever take a moment to say, thank you, Lord, for these gifts mm-hmm. that you've given me? Probably not. He he feasted all the time. And it, it seems to paint a picture of, of a guy who's like just so focused on the living the pleasure of the present moment that he's not really seeing the supernatural reality. Um, he, he only sees the, you know, good food in front of him, the nice bed he might have or things like that. Um, when I lived down in Nashville, Tennessee, um, the priest at the parish that I would go to for Sunday mass once gave this homily that has just stuck with me. Um, since then, I think I've talked about it on, on the cafe before, but this idea of what if we woke up tomorrow morning with only the things we thanked God for today. That's how he started his homily was he, he Hmm. started with that question and he goes, and, and a lot of you are thinking, you know, your family or the food you have or the clothes on your back, but how specific do you get? Have you, have you thanked God for your shoes? Or your socks, <laughs> you know, have mm-hmm. you thanked God um, for your pillowcase? You might have thanked him for your pillow, but, <laughs> you know, there, there are very specific details and, and just helps to, I think, for me, put for my perspective on the supernatural reality of things that, that God has had a hand in my life in all these things. Um, he has blessed me abundantly and I can thank him for all of those to help keep my focus on him, even when he has blessed me. Um, unlike the rich man in today's gospel story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cam, as you're, as you're reflecting, I'm just kind of struck by a, a thought I had yesterday about the woman, the widow's might, right. That she, she gave from her poverty. And I, I think in this, I'm just kind of struck by that same thought, this idea of, um, generosity and not just from our abundance, um, but, but from, uh, from our need as well. Do we, do we see the needs of others and, and minister to those in, in the ways that we can, and maybe even in the ways that hurt. It was just a reflection that I've been thinking about this morning. Nice. Thank you guys. And sorry to Abraham through for throwing you under the bus <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to uh, this morning's conversation on Catholic medical ethics with our friends. So we'll be back in just a moment with Father Bob Penhollerick and Dr. Ashley Fernandez here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Stay with us. Heavenly Father, today I pray for our suffering nation that you would raise up godly leaders with hearts and minds open to your truth. 
I pray for our government leaders, our military, and our first responders. I beg that in your mercy you would replace division with unity, hatred with love, evil with purity, chaos with peace. Most of all, I pray that the knowledge of your goodness and sovereignty will spread across this nation, setting hearts afire. But I also humbly recognize that I play an important part of that process in the way I treat every person you send my way. Therefore, Lord, open my eyes and heart and let me not be blinded by my own understanding. When I am tempted to take an us-against-them viewpoint, help me, rather, to see each person as a precious son or daughter of God. And then, Lord, give me the grace to love that person as you do. You have created me for such a time as this, Lord, and I am ready to do your will. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of prayerfulness is seen in St. Dominic. He lived prayerfulness heroically by giving his whole self to God in prayer. Dominic knew that our bodies can help us to pray. He often incorporated his body in prayer by kneeling, bowing, and raising his hands up to God. He expressed a wholehearted attentiveness in his posture and actions while he worshiped God. Let us ask St. Dominic to pray for us that we may grow in prayerfulness. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Kroc, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. We see in Scripture that people were astonished and amazed over and over at the teaching and preaching of Jesus and His public ministry. From Luke 5, 26, Then astonishment seized them all, and they glorified God. And struck with awe, they said, We have seen incredible things today. They hung on Jesus' every word, were amazed by His teaching, preaching, healing, and forgiveness of sins. Do we also experience astonishment at the words of Jesus? Are we awestruck when he reveals to us how to resolve a problem? Are we amazed when he heals us physically or spiritually? St. Augustine said, In my deepest wound I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. Let us pray for eyes to see the amazing works of Jesus and to be dazzled by his generous love. Amen. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn. I was just thinking, if there was a medical emergency, like in the next 45 <laughs> minutes, there is nowhere I'd rather be right now. We're covered. Than with you know, Father Bob Penhollerick and Dr. Ashley Fernandez. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. You're welcome. My pleasure. Father Bob uh, Penhollerick, as way of introduction, is the pastor of St. Brendan the Navigator the chaplain of the Columbus chapter of the Catholic Medical Association, and also holds a master's degree in theology with a major concentration in Catholic healthcare and bioethics. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, no, no, swallowing just you as can... you said, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good, got it right. Dr. Ashley Fernandez is a graduate of Georgetown University. Go... Hoyas. Hoyas. <laughs> and the Ohio State University College of Medicine, go 
Box. Box. <laughs> He's a member of the Catholic Medical Association and also is the Director of Resident Bioethics Education at Nationwide Children's Hospital and Associate Director of the Center for Bioethics at the Ohio State University. Did I get all that right? You did. Thank you very much. <laughs> right on. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> I've really been looking forward to this conversation. It, it is so, so important um, for us, uh, for the doctors and nurses that are listening, as well as uh, all of us lay folks to have a, a good uh, introduction uh, this morning into uh, Catholic uh, medical ethics. Let's start by defining that term. What do we mean when we say medical ethics? <laughs> they look at each other and laugh. <laughs> well, that's that's one of. I could most... go back to Google if you guys don't want to. <laughs> no, that that is a very that's that's one of the most basic questions, but also a challenging yeah. question. Mm -hmm. Is I think obviously ethics, the discipline of ethics, is located within this within the branch of philosophy of knowledge we call philosophy. So it's right action mm -hmm. or wrong action, and, and sort of an analysis of that. And medical ethics um, is, I mean, the way I interpret medical ethics specifically is clinical ethics. So those healthcare professionals that engage with patients, mm. there's a broader term that some people say will say bioethics. And typically um, that when we say bioethics, we could also include, include things like research ethics okay. um, and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, even some people would include like the ethics of food production as mm -hmm. part of bioethics, anything that has to do with the natural world and its intersection with morality. Good. Father, what, what's the basis um, for the Catholic medical ethics? I mean, is this in the catechism or I mean, I what, what's say, it all based on? I would say it goes back as far as saying that faith and reason don't just kind of clash or coexist. They are mutual. And so as Catholics, we believe uh, obviously that God has given us the natural law, has given us reason. But he's also given us faith in the divine revelation of Christ and of, you know, the Old and the New Testament and so on. And so for us as Catholics, it's about bringing that Catholic perspective, which brings balance to what can sometimes be um, a kind of veering one way or another to the extreme. And so for us as Catholics, the faith actually tempers our view of the world. It doesn't take away our reason. It doesn't take away our responsibility to make good choices and to avoid evil ones, but it directs and guides us so that we can make those choices in com confident that the choices we are making are in, in line with our faith and with our beliefs and true to the gospel. With, I'm thinking of contradictions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's part of this um, approach and this, this learning, this, this knowledge, looking for contradictions between faith and reason, as well as where they fit together. I would say it's not about looking for contradictions. It's about finding parallels mm -hmm. which demonstrate to us that both are true. And when we look for those parallels and we find they're not evident or not present, then that says to us that this might not be 
ethically sound. So before we began the show, you were talking about a little bit about the Hippocratic Oath and so on. Uh, and Well, that was a can of worms. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was. I, I thought it would but, be pretty straightforward. I, 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 I well, grew, not I, nowadays. I <laughs> but here's yeah. the thing. The Hippocratic Oath is not a Christian document. It's not a Catholic document. It's founded entirely on reason and, and the understanding of the human person. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, it is not in any way in contradiction. So when we look at the Hippocratic Oath, we're, we're finding there parallels to what we believe. And we know that the early philosophers of the Greek and Roman world um, often had an influence on some of the greatest Catholic philosophers. So Aristotle's influence, for example, on Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way in which Aquinas was able to take that and to see through it the, the revelation of, of God's presence in the world and how to order ourselves accordingly. And so I would say we're not looking for contradictions. We're actually looking for the parallels. And when the parallels mm-hmm. are absent, then that says to us we need to delve deeper because if they're not evident, then w- we need to check this out. Th- thank you for clarifying that because... I think everyone else is looking for the contradictions, <laughs> and, and that's an important point where the, the secular um, uh, medical profession is, is is looking for those those contradictions. This is where they don't hold together through the church. We're, we're looking for parallels, so, th- so thank you. Yeah, I think another, you know, that's a great, I, I think Father Bob just explained that so well, and, and, and as did you, Dave, and that there is a movement to put these two things opposed to each other, mm-hmm. faith and reason, because people that, for example, don't like the Catholic Church and don't like what we want to believe, they want to be able to box you in and say, oh, just this is just a religious view. Um, this is not of reason, sort of a philosophical movement that's really mm-hmm. happened since the Enlightenment thinkers, you know, in the 16th and 17th and into the 18th century. What's an example of that happening now? Oh, that there, there are so many. Let me just take one where you guys have seen this um, phrase or heard this phrase probably on social media, believe the science, okay? <laughs> believe the science. I despise that phrase hmm. and I'm someone who consider, you know, I consider myself to be someone versed in, in the sciences um, because the word belief is a sort of a dogmatic word. It's a word of faith. When you say something like believe the science, you're essentially making science your God and you're usurping. That, that phrase usurps this, this idea that science is a discipline of skepticism. And faith is a discipline of belief. I mean, it's, it's belief oriented. So those two things shouldn't be confused with each other, but it's giving science this power like a God. So I always say sort of, you know, respect the science and believe mm-hmm. in God. Um, but there, in, in, there are so many examples in modern medical ethics where there's an attempt to, to separate, to make the default um, the secular world. End of life issues, for example, assisted suicide, um, presumes wrongly that there's no meaning to suffering mm-hmm. beyond what a human being itself, uh, themselves can um, attribute to it, that there's no meaning to dignity beyond autonomy. Um, the people that support that. So I think that's one of the, probably one of the primary, if not one of the two biggest things is to be able to say that there's no contradiction between faith and reason. 
And the other one, as Father Bob points out, is the importance of person and the dignity of the human person. Those are sort of the two anchors, I think, of mm. Catholic of medical ethics. Mm-hmm. Father Bob Pinholerick, uh, Dr. Ashley Fernandez with us here in the cafe. We're talking about medical ethics. Did you have a science or a medical background before the priesthood? No, not at all. I was an accountant before, a CPA before I became a priest. <laughs> so <laughs> none whatsoever. And uh, really, I, I was in seminary. I had the opportunity. In England, in seminary, it's not normal for seminarians to complete a master's degree. And uh, so instead of that, they they focus on getting their bachelor's in theology and pastoral counseling and and things like that. Uh, I had lots of time on my hands. And so uh, I asked if I could do a master's degree and was told, well, yeah, you can do a master's degree. And then I was given two choices, one which had a concentration in dogma. I love dogma, but I've done lots of that. Um, and then this other opportunity to, to do healthcare and bioethics. And uh, the professor at the seminary actually had a, had a PhD and w- was great. And, and so I chose to take that one. And boy, was it a lot of work because <laughs> I was at that time in the, er, in the mid-1990s looking at um, the... Uh, I chose as my thesis uh, to do... Um, something on the freezing of human frozen embryos Mm. and whether it was ethical or not. There was a lot of debate in the UK at the time about whether this, you know, they'd reached a five-year limit and were about to destroy thousands of babies. And it caused an enormous outrage, but there was no clear-cut teaching. And so I chose to do my dissertation on that. I did a lot of um, research on the internet in those days. You didn't have a computer at home, or at least not one that connected to the internet. And so I had to go to internet cafes uh, to do my research and stuff. And and this kind of just drew me into this area of bioethics and healthcare. And uh, I, I'd been the chaplain of a specialist burns unit when I was still in the Church of England. And, and I was in Cambridge as a Catholic priest. So we had Adam Brooks, which is a huge um, teaching hospital down the road. And so that was piquing my interest. But... In terms of science, I wasn't good at science in school. <laughs> no? <laughs> no. I'll be very honest. I hated biology. I hated, oh, hated cutting. Oh, you're hurting my wow. heart. I, I hated oh, my cutting up a toad or dissecting a bullseye. Or I, I was know, a little squeamish on that stuff. I actually never got to do that. I was a little upset, but please continue, Father. Uh, so well, we could go into the whole homeschool, how you do dissections <laughs> as a homeschool family. There's, so, yeah. But, we'll take you know, that off air. Yeah. But the reality for all of us is that when it comes to, uh, to medical ethics and so on is that it's not something that we can, even if we are totally naive these days about it, it is not something any of us can avoid. It's not like I can, you know, in England, when I was growing up, you went to your general practitioner and uh, family practitioner, and he told you what was what, and you walked away, and that was it. There was no idea of informed consent or being able to ask even questions. You just took what the doctor gave you. Right. And, but that's not the world we live in now. And, and so for all of us, it looms large every single day in the decisions that we're being asked to make for ourselves and for others. And because of that, um, we need a a deeper grasp um, or at least know where to go and get the help and the information from groups like the Catholic Medical Association um, and so on so that we can actually 
have an informed conscience when we're trying to make decisions that often affect life and death. Uh, but Father Bob Pinhollerick, uh, Dr. Ashley Fernandez, phrase that comes to mind, use it as a, as a parent, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Mm-hmm. And how, do, how does that fit in to... Um, to the kind of the landscape now of, of medicine. There, there's a lot of things that we can do. That, that's at the heart of a lot of what we're talking about now, right? I mean, yeah. just because you can, should you? I think the parents' um, sort of admonition about that is really rooted in philosophy. If you think about it, it's to, ethics is a, is a discipline that is normative. So it talks about what you ought to do and ought not to do. Other things like sociology and anthropology and even the basic sciences tell you what is, what you can do is this, or what happens is this. So if I say, well, there are polygamous relationships all around the world. Okay, that's interesting and that's true. Um, that's what is. But you can answer, ask of that question, but is it good? And then we have to answer that from an ought point of view, from a normative point of view. I think what's happening in medical ethics is that we have this incredible technology that allows us to do things. Um, can you abort a baby in the ninth month without killing the mother? Hmm. Without killing the mother, I mean, you're killing the, the unborn baby, but yes, the answer to that is yes. And, but there's another question, is it good? And that is a question that we have to answer for ourselves. We can talk about this in the context of of really anything in medical ethics, genetic, I mean, even things we consider good, and like at face value, like gene editing, for example. We can cure a disease before a baby is born by editing the genes. And at face value, that appears to be good, but we still need to have a discussion about it. And, and families need to think about it and need to decide if that's what they want to do. And those are all ought questions. I think what happens if you look at just the scientific method itself, um, and all the homeschoolers families are like ready because they, they, yes. they got this. But the scientific method mm-hmm. is that there's an observation in nature mm-hmm. and that you create hypotheses about that observation in nature and you develop experiments or empirical evidence to test those hypotheses. You're really trying to falsify the hypotheses. You're not trying to prove them, right? Because that's not the nature of science. The nature of science is to try to falsify the hypothesis. And when you can't, then you develop additional experiments and you move on and it becomes a theory and so forth. But in the scientific method that I've just briefly laid out, it doesn't answer the question, but should I do this? But ought I to do this? And if someone were to ask that, you can't use the methodology of science to answer moral questions. Mm. So this is where I really want to empower the audience that's listening is because your doctor says, well, we can do this. Okay, that's interesting, but they need to have a discussion within their families, with themselves, with you know, with their with their spouse, with people in the Catholic Medical Association, with their parish priest about whether I ought to do it, if their conscience is you know, if if they sense that there could be something wrong here. What how's this handled in um, medical training? So in in, in the medical school. Um, my wife's a, a pediatrician. I had no idea, actually, that, um, I mean, are there courses in ethics? And 
how, how's that integrated into in, into the training? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I full disclosure, I teach some of those courses at, at the College of Medicine at Ohio State. And I just wanted to make it clear that my views here on this show don't reflect those of my employer. They're my own personal mm-hmm. views. But what I teach, and of course I teach at a secular school, so I only, I teach um, medical ethics in as an integrated concept and help to, to um, devise some formal curriculum, but every medical school does it differently. I happen to teach um, two uh, electives for fourth year medical students. One is called Medical Ethics After the Holocaust, mm. where we look at um, sort of lessons learned from physician participation in the Holocaust and what can we learn about modern medical ethics today. And the other one is a, a secular and um, religious um, back and forth class about medical ethics, which is sort of interesting, where um, people read from both sources and then they engage in a dialogue between secular medical ethicists and, and religious medical ethicists. Um, but every school does it differently. Some will have formal courses. In my last institution, I used to teach a formal course that lasted the first entire year of medical school and some integrate it into modules that are either online or in person. Um, some have small group faculty. Uh, so it's done in a lot of different ways, but there is some. now. Secular institutions are not going to teach any religious concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just want to say that they're not but, going to but, teach but it. But yeah. is part of the goal there um, in that education to help the physicians interact with their patients and, and the patient's families so that they can understand that perspective where some of their patients may be coming from? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's the goal. That's the aspirational goal. And if I look at, um, if, if I look at how I try to teach it and how we try to teach it, my, that's exactly. It's a broader idea than just okay. Well, let's debate about abortion or euthanasia mm-hmm. or whatever. It it really medical ethics really should encompass upholding the dignity of the human person. Um, the trick is that modern bioethicists are locating the dignity of the human person solely in the concept of autonomy. So in other words, there's nothing transcendent about the human being per se, but your choices are the thing that gives you value. And that's where the content of medical ethics courses is obviously gonna differ depending on where you are. But I think that's a really serious threat to the truth about what constitutes ethics and medical ethics is this idea that all of your dignity is simply tied up in your autonomous choices. We're with uh, Dr. Ashley Fernandez and Father Bob Pinholerick. We're talking about Catholic medical ethics. Let's talk about conscience protection. Then I also want to then move into <clears throat> a discussion on, on uh, how patients can navigate um, the medical system. One of the biggest threats, as I understand it, with uh, different legislations and, and movements within within medicine is conscience protection. Is that impacting the number of um, students that are pursuing medical degrees at this point? I can't, I don't have data mm-hmm. on that, so I can't say for sure, but in the from, anecdotal- From your conversations. Yes, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, I think that people, it affects their specialty choice. Um, so if you're going into, you know, the, the sort of um, 
really anti-conscience attitude of some specialties that are involved in controversial procedures and practices, like um, OBGYN, for example, really steers people away. Sometimes conscience, the, the fact that there are conscience protection laws on the books, that's not even taught. And so students think that they have to do whatever the patient asks them to do. And I think that is really um, disturbing because anybody who practices clinical medicine like I do and any of the physicians out there know that you, uh, medicine can't operate that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, this seems to be being pushed by bioethicists and some um, even professional organizations as a way of weeding out those physicians um, that hold really um, religious views, some religious views, um, and also things that contradict the prevailing ideology. I think that is um, a, a major threat. And I, you know, I speak about conscience protection and the importance of conscience in medicine in various venues across the country. And I always say this, um, especially when I'm talking to Catholic audiences, conscience is important not because this is we want to be this little Catholic cluster that uh, that practices medicine in our little hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important because allowing physicians and nurses to um, to act according to what according to the truth is evangelical. It, it without saying a word about Jesus or Mary or the saints or anything like that, allowing you to be free to be a Catholic healthcare professional will draw people to you and will let people see that there's an alternative to a purely secular empirical view of the human person that catches. And I think that's why a lot and a lot of people in the secular world want to tamp down conscience or remove those conscience protections altogether. They don't want to, they don't want that light to be shown. I'm looking at your wall here. And you know, for those of you, many of you haven't been in the studio here and I'm just looking at on the wall of the studio where, where we are, there are these four lines rooted in truth, lead with beauty, transform hearts, share the gospel. I, I would say that that is what medical ethics ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what the practice of clinical medicine ought to be. And, and I'm just, it's just astounding that I'm looking at these words and I'm like, you asked what medical ethics is um, or what it means to be a doctor. And that's, I think what you have written on your wall there we put it up just for you this morning. <laughs> you. Yeah. That's a lot of work for you guys just to have uh, Father Bob and me in. And so I appreciate that. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Dr. Ashley Fernandez, Father Bob Penhollerick, a great resource that we have locally. Well, mm-hmm. it's a national organization, but mm-hmm. uh, Father, um, you're the chaplain of the Columbus chapter of the Catholic Medical Association. Yes. And this is an organization that um, is available uh, to support and to instruct and cheer on our medical professionals, but then also medical students, nurses, nursing students, anyone that's involved and in also uh, chaplains in healthcare, uh, parish priests, mm-hmm. directors of Respect Life conferences. For example, when I did the National Catholic Eth- National Catholic Bioethics course, I did it with. Um, at least in my cohort, there were three Respect Life directors, one of whom was for the Texas conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were all doing the course together. And, um, and so, but the CMA exists to support 
Catholics as they navigate that field, which sadly is becoming a minefield of ethics in the clinical setting, whether it be in the doctor's practice, the, you know, the family practitioner, or whether it be in the hospital or the urgent care. Um, we want to be there to support not only spiritually, but also practically those who are engaging in the art of medicine and also those who are seeking to become practitioners. And the students, and I think Ashley would agree, need a tremendous amount of support in particular. Um, you know, science, uh, what we're being presented with is changing at such a rapid rate now. And so much of it is, and decisions are made or opinions are from pr professional organizations or from individual places are kind of rooted almost in knee-jerk reactions. We have to go with the flow rather than a, a real sitting down and examining the, the data and looking at it from every perspective and including that perspective of faith that I think our medical students really need our support. And you mentioned the NCBC. Mm -hmm. So it's the National Catholic, Catholic Bioethics. Bioethics Center. Okay. Uh, and it, it, tell us about that organization. The uh, NCBC uh, is a national organization. It offers um, individual consultations uh, through its helpline, but it's also engaged in policy re research and advocacy. Uh, it's a tremendous support to our bishops. I know Bishop Fernandez was at there. Every two years they run a, a couple of days specifically for the bishops to update them on what is happening and to give them some additional support. And he was there at that meeting in January uh, and they were looking at end-of-life issues for that. So, um, it, again, is another great resource um, that kind of, you know, works alongside groups like the Catholic Medical Association. But in terms of, you know, boots on the ground, um, interacting with physicians and nurses and with medical students, the CMA is the one that's doing that every single day mm -hmm. um, and trying to be that link, that support that helps people uh, live out their Catholic faith in medicine. The website for the National Catholic Bioethics Center is NC bcenter.org ncbcenter.org let's, let's talk about um oh could i make a quick plug yeah. for our local yeah. catholic medical association yes, if please. any of you yeah. are interested in finding out more about us would like to join us would like to make a tax-free tax-deductible donation to our official diocesan organization yep. um that uh, email address i mean that um, website address is cmacbus.com um, and you can find out more about us. You can email us and um, join us. Now, do you make resources available for patients and, and their families as well? So, so on that website, we do not. We have some educational resources. We talk more about the organization. We have our upcoming events um, on that website. There is, obviously, people can make queries mm -hmm. to us, and we try to get to those in a timely fashion. Um, but the national organization definitely does. Okay. Um, and that's cathmed.org. That's another resource for, um, for people who can read articles on all the top issues of the day and press releases as well. So very important. And the other thing for um, local people to know about our local chapter is that we run uh, two or three events every single year 
which are are open to people to come. We have the White Mass, usually around October the 18th, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, where we invite medical students and physicians and everybody involved in Catholic healthcare to meet, have a mass with the bishop, uh, with a reception and a speaker afterwards. Then we have the Hippocratic Oath lunch or dinner uh, around April when the medical students, third-year students are graduating and uh, it's an opportunity to um, honor them uh, and that usually involves possibly a speaker as well. And there's a third one. There's, there's a third one, um, which is our in, in August, typically to welcome the students back. You know, we have two medical schools in Columbus Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Ohio State, of course, and the other one is the Ohio University branch campus at Dublin. So we want to welcome the new students and invite the old students and the new residents back mm-hmm. as well. Um, as well as the nursing schools. Yes. Yeah. And then actually just a shout out to the. So that's in mm-hmm. August. That's mm-hmm. usually a summer barbecue at the home of one of our members, um, which is really nice. It's out in the country mm-hmm. or for now, it's the country. Yeah. <laughs> might not be sooner. <laughs> might not be for much longer. The way Columbus yeah. is growing. But a shout out to the nurses out there. There is a small but mighty mm-hmm. Catholic nursing group that is in Columbus. And um, right now, they're, I'm not sure they have their own website. But if you want to get in touch with those people, they do meet, I think, on a monthly basis. And they have their own events. And they also come to a lot of our events. But, but if you go to our um, web address cmacbus.com, we can put you in touch with the Catholic Nurses Association of Columbus as well. And they have their own chaplain here in the diocese as well. So I'm chaplain to the Physicians Guild. The nurses um, have Father Mark Hammond as their chaplain because Father Mark uh, was a a nurse, a qualified nurse before he entered the seminary. And so he, and also has an STL in bioethics as well. So, uh, yeah, so we are. What well a blessing to have to have this caliber of resources available, mm-hmm. right? In a little old sea bus. I know, and well, you know that my brother, <laughs> yes. younger brother, the bishop, was a medical student. <laughs> he was a medical student um, for two years mm-hmm. before he left to become a Catholic priest. And then, w- would he have been a good doctor? Do you think? Oh my gosh, he would have been. <laughs> he would have been amazing. Let me tell you that guy. Uh, I don't want to embarrass him too much here, but he had. So we were in the same, he went to, you know, to a different medical school than I did, but we had tests around the same time. We were in the, in the same year in medical school. And he, um, so he used to study at the same time I did. He never really highlighted or took notes, took many notes. He would sort of read, back then we used textbooks, real textbooks, <laughs> and he would just sort of read the textbook. By eight o'clock that evening, he'd be watching ESPN, <laughs> watching baseball or something on, on TV. And I'd be desperately, I had all my <laughs> highlighters out, highlighting, new, you know, and, and he would ace these exams. I mean, it, the knowledge definitely is there. The caring was there. He would have been a phenomenal, mm-hmm. um, phenomenal physician. And of course the holiness is there, but, um, but yeah, but I'm glad he left. <laughs> Use his talents elsewhere. Yes. Yes. I used to have my own identity, but now I'm just the bishop's brother, <laughs> which is okay. Younger brother. Younger brother. Well, actually, I'm, a, I'm his older brother. Yeah. He's oh, my he's younger your, brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't boss him around anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Father, let's talk about, uh, and, and Dr. as well, the, um, the resources. How, how should people approach just very practically um, medical directives, you know, living wills, and... 
So let, let's start there and then move into when we're faced with a medical situation, the resources that are available. So is there such a thing as a Catholic approach to medical directives and living wills? Yes, there is. Okay. Um, again, the NCBC has produced a guide mm-hmm. that actually can help people to navigate through that. Uh, they even have a their own form. Uh, NCBC, I certainly would agree, would... Um, definitely favor more a medical power of, attor- of a medical proxy, a power of attorney, rather than necessary a living will, which kind of binds both the doctor's hands and uh, the loved ones if you can't make decisions for yourself. But um, so, yes, the advice is, is out there. And a lot of Respect Life groups here in Ohio, uh, Respect Life Columbus, have worked very diligently on producing documents that can help and guide us in those areas as well. How quickly does that change so if you did one of these directives five years ago ten years ago do they need to be updated and changed according to changing circumstances well i would answer that with a question do you think it's important to regularly update your will i would say yeah yeah so (laughs) yeah man that's a true or false question (laughs) yeah i mean because you know and the diocese encourages us to do this on our with our wills Mm -hmm. uh and and also with um our funeral planning you know every five years let's go back in and encourage us to do that I, i think it's a good practice for us to be intentional about looking over that again and uh, checking that it's where it needs to be and is in line with Catholic teaching. And, but also importantly to have that, you know, our power of attorney may have changed. Yeah. So our, the person we want to make those decisions for us when we can't, those ethical decisions might have changed. That person may have died or that there may not be a relationship anymore. And so it is, I think, very important for us to go back regularly and to visit those things so that Again, we're being intentional about Good. this decision-making, which is such an important area of decision-making for us. And, and I would add, Father, to um, in addition to just filling out the paperwork, putting it in, on, in an envelope mm-hmm. and putting it with the important papers, mm-hmm. is to have a discussion with your family oh, members. very much Absolutely. so. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, I think, I think there are probably some listeners out there like, oh, my gosh, I don't even have a will. Um, and, and, and then they're going to, you know, well, have a will. And mm-hmm. also to have a discussion with family members about what your wishes are at the end of life. I mean, one common misconception in the secular world is that like, oh, these Catholics, they just want to leave everybody, you know, alive and mm-hmm. they don't believe in withdrawing any life support and things like that. And that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic Church really has a very nuanced approach to end of life issues, mm-hmm. which is very empowering for the families that are involved. Um, you don't have to keep someone on life support as long as they're biologically, their, their tissue is biologically viable. Um, and so um, the Catholic Church is very, um, very understanding of that, of that human condition. And that's why it can be very overwhelming for families facing end of life choices because the medicine is so complex now um, that they have to make sure that what their decision is comports with their values and of course with Christian truth. Um, but that's a discussion that they can have. They're not bound by a dictate that says, if you are Catholic and your family member goes on right. a ventilator, you must keep them on that and there's no decision. 
Right. Um, and there is still a lot of that misunderstanding out there. So sometimes um, the Office of Catholic, uh, Social, Catholic Social Concerns of the Diocese will refer somebody to me um, from another parish. Somebody who's just called in and said, I don't know what to do. And I'm, you know, I'm having to make decisions for a loved one. And uh, and I've been willing to help. But I know in conversations I have sometimes with my own parishioners, there is this fear that if I'm put on some type of ventilator, if I'm given artificial nutrition and hydration, if, um, you know, I, I can't refuse a course of antibiotics, whatever. There's this kind of black and white view that I'm going to get into trouble. I'm going to commit a sin and go to hell mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I've not done this right. Or I've, and the reality is, as Ashley says, so much more nuanced. The church is always pastoral and caring in its approach. It is not looking to play, put into place things that will do you harm. Or will in any way cause you suffering um, that is unbearable, and, and so you know balancing ordinary and extraordinary means proportionate, disproportionate care. There are nuances in that, uh, and it's important that people seek out the help to to know what they are. Yeah, I mean, our, our families experience um, with the National Catholic uh, Bioethics Center. Their helpline is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, their website also has a number of fact sheets available mm-hmm. that can get into feeding issues, hydration issues. And I would encourage everyone, I'd, um, especially family members, if you're making decisions for a parent or a grandparent, to go to the National Center, um, National Center for National Catholic Bioethics Center and look at their fact sheets and then have that discussion and come to a common understanding. Um, Definitely if you don't have these directives in place ahead of time um, to try to work through any difference of opinions or confusion among family members, it it can go a long way to help. I agree. I mean, I think it's one of the you know, we recently, my family lost my dad in 2019 and my mom in 2022. And my mom had a type of dementia where at towards sort of the end, she stopped eating. Um, and really, you know, she was going into kidney failure and kind of stopped eating. And, you know, a lot of people think, think that, for example, just take something like nutrition and hydration. That is a, a considered, generally speaking, ordinary means, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but in, yep. in, but if, for example, nutrition and hydration cannot be administered in a way that is not, that does that um, cannot be administered in a way without causing a burden on the pa- an extreme burden on the patient, or let's say in some cases it's not being able to be integrated into the the human person because they aspirate or other reasons like right. that, it's not morally obligatory. And again, the church. This is where people misunderstand what the church is saying, and sometimes families do, and so they feel a tremendous amount of guilt as the caregiver mm-hmm. who has to decide, oh, I'm the cause, they think, mm-hmm. many of them think, I'm the cause of my grandmother or my mother's death because I made this choice. That's why it's important to um, you know, to read about it, to talk with each other about it, what do you want at the end of life, and to understand that those the, what's what's considered a burden or what's considered extraordinary means is really framed by the person themselves. Um, a doctor, there's no checkbox that says, well, this is extraordinary. Even a ventilator, which we use commonly, 
I have two other brothers that are pulmonary critical care doctors. They use a vent, you know, they, their patients run vents every day. That could be an extraordinary means depending on the patient, or it could be an ordinary means mm -hmm. depending on the patient. And so each person is going to have to have their own discussion about that. Mm -hmm. Thank God for, I mean, for both of you that um, these nuances, these specific family situations that, um, that we have people to talk to. And again, a plug for the uh, ncbcenter.org, great, um, great resources, but to know that we have people here locally also that we can reach out to explain the family situation, just receive that counsel in that direction. Yeah, and I also think, you know, you, the parish priests are, mm -hmm. can be excellent resources, at least for pastoral care, yeah. at the very least for pastoral care and talking through families about, I mean, a lot of times more than the, the sort of biological death of a loved one, it's the spiritual impact yes. that, um, that really affects families. And that's what our we, I, I mean, as, at the Catholic Medical Association, you should see the number of priests and religious that come to our conferences. It's extraordinary. And even here, um, you know, with Father Bob as our chaplain, she couldn't ask for a better chaplain. Um, and then we have a, you know, every two years, we have a, a huge medical ethics conference here um, at the Josephinum. Mm -hmm. And because it's at the Josephinum, we have a seminary attendance. We have faculty from the seminary that come. Um, it's very important that our, our clergy mm -hmm. understand even the basic nuances and can guide people um, to helping them to make the right decisions or at least to another form of healing after these decisions have been made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can say from my own experience that my experience of the priests is they have this, not only their wonderful pastoral care, but also they, they recognize when they have a limitation, when they're not sure. And so I've had many priests call me and say, okay, can I just run this one by you? Because I want to be sure I'm giving the right advice. And, you know, we discuss it and I help him to understand where the church is coming from and he's able to go back. And, and so our priests are very diligent about, you know, I'm not just going to try and wing it. <laughs> we, <laughs> priests, right. we don't do that. I mean, because we're, we're about the care of souls. And, and yeah. The, you know, and uh, so, so yeah, so our, our priests do a wonderful job of just being able to offer as much advice and pastoral care as they can. And we know that beginning of life, end of life, the duration of life, um, all of it is spiritually connected. And so we want to do our best to serve. Amen. Dr. Ashley Fernandez, Father Bob Penhollerick, thanks for being here in, in the cafe with us this morning. Those websites, again, we mentioned cmacbus.com. That's for the local chapter of the Catholic Medical Association, ncbcenter.org for the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Um, in, in questions, um, reach, us, reach out to us here at the station or to Father Bob. Uh, yeah, I was actually also going to give a little shout out to Buckeye Catholic because oh. um, Buckeye Catholic has become the home of the CMA. Uh, it's where we now hold our events, partly because, of course, it's wonderful for the students. It's much easier for mm -hmm. them to, to get to them. Um, and they've been incredibly welcoming of us. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you, Buckeye Catholic. Good. Thank you, Father. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us this morning. Tomorrow we have the Sacred Heart Hour at 8 o'clock. So we'll be back with you on Monday. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you on Monday.